0: How many of you know that people listen a lot and do very little? You see, we've got this problem. We say too much, listen too little, then we listen too much and do too little. And this is a big problem because the reality is that unless it translates from information to action, you'll never get transformation. So unless the information becomes action, there's no transformation. So you can even mentally ascend. To something you can agree that something is good or better, but you can still do what's worse So if you agree that something is good generally a person should then change their actions and do what's better Am I right? Yeah. But for the most part unfortunately We are so kind of engrossed in habits and rhythms and things that it takes effort to change things even after we've decided to change them and that's why you need to understand this one principle. With changing your actions and changing your speech will always come resistance. And I want you to imagine, remember James writes and he says that the tongue is like a rudder and it governs the whole ship. Okay? Now, your actions also mean your words, right? Because sometimes what you say can matter as much as what you do. Am I right? Okay? Okay. So your actions and your words have to line up with the direction that you are wanting to go into, not the direction that you've been going into when you're dissatisfied with that reality that you're currently living in. So just like a ship that moves forward, how many of you know that as a ship moves in one direction, it gains momentum and it gets faster and faster? And if you have any shipmate friends or you've ever been on the sea you'll know that you can't just turn a ship on a dime. You can't just say, okay, now we're going to go right and then turn the ship right. Because if you did that, the, the force of your momentum would literally crush the ship. Do you understand that? So normally what needs to happen is you have to change the direction and then you've got to give the time for the ship to turn so that it can change direction. Does that make sense? And when you do that, if you ever looked at a wheel, you know the wheel that they turn for the rudder? they have to turn it and then they have to lock it. They have to keep it there while the ship is turning. Why? Because if they just let the wheel go, how many of you know what happens? It literally spins back to its previous uh, momentum and it will then carry on going in that momentum. So if you find it difficult to apply things, to put things into practice, it's a no-brainer. That's what happens. It's You're gonna face resistance. It's the point because you're changing direction, and you need to be able to go with that momentum and kind of convert it into a different direction. Does that make sense? Okay, so I just hope that I just feel that's a helpful thing to understand because sometimes we can get very frustrated with ourselves (laughs) because you know we we I think we're a lot harder on ourselves than necessarily we let other people be (laughs) on us, right? And so from that perspective, it's important to keep ourselves informed of that. Now, our, uh, that's one thing we need to understand, is that Jesus went everywhere preaching the gospel. Was he received everywhere? There was the one city that was farming pigs, if you remember correctly, and they had their own little pit, demon-possessed guy in the cemetery. And so when Jesus comes across the sea, he comes in there, and the most evil person in their village, he's the one who's begging Jesus for help. And he casts the demons out into the pigs. Do you remember that? Yes. Um, even pigs know better than to live with those things. And they decided to jump off the cliff. <laughs> so so the, the problem was that the farming, the farming community, they were farming pigs. Number one, they weren't allowed to actually farm pigs. Back then it was against the Jewish law and still is today. Um, but now, Jesus had done this and they became offended and they literally told Jesus, don't come here. They said, don't come here. And then the guy who was set free said to Jesus, can I follow you? And Jesus said, no, I want you to go back into the village and I want you to testify about what God has done for you. And the interesting thing is, if you follow, if you keep reading, you'll see Jesus goes all the way around And he comes all the way back to that city. And basically, when he comes back, they've been waiting for him. Because the fame of him went throughout all of Galilee. And they end up welcoming welcoming him into the city after he comes back. So sometimes, just because someone doesn't receive you at first, doesn't mean they won't receive you later. But it also doesn't mean you should set up camp outside the gates and insist that you come in. And this is really what taught me about the fact that, especially with family and a lot of uh, close people to us who have known our history and might judge us based on history rather than what God says about us, you, you have to actually live a little and demonstrate a little that that change has happened so that they can see, wait a minute, there is something different here. And then their gates open and they're willing to hear what you have to say. And that's why I always encourage people, Live this life so that people will see your good fruits. Jesus said, "Let your light shine, so that men may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven." Right. So it's it's an important thing for us to understand, especially since in a situation like this, we all want to live healthy lives. Right. Is anyone here wants to live a sick life? No. No. We all want to live healthy lives, right? And where does health really come from? Because Ultimately, it's important for us to understand where health comes from. And fundamentally, we know that in the core of our beings, our very cells, our very molecules, every part of what we are made up of, okay, it relates to your perspective of the world around you. In other words, your liver cell doesn't know what's happening with the ANC government or what's happening in the corruption in this country, or what's happening with the, the, the attacks that are happening globally, or potential of war. Your liver cell doesn't care. Your heart cell doesn't care. It only cares about what you think about those things, and the stress that you are willing to put on your body, based on your own perception of those things. So every cell in your body can be kept optimal, if you have a heavenly focus, Because the Bible says whoever keeps their mind on Jesus will live in perfect peace. Peace isn't something we get because everything is peaceful. That kind of peace is very weak. The peace we have is in the midst of chaos. We are the peace that silenced the storm. We carry that peace. When Jesus said shalom to the the, uh, storm, it was because he was carrying that peace. That he was able to release that peace. And you are able to do the same thing because you have the same Spirit that lived in Jesus living in you. As I've said many times, even to children, you don't have a junior Holy Spirit. You have the Holy Spirit. The same Holy Spirit that brought all matter and energy and space and time into existence. That Holy Spirit is the one that you've got. Now, if you consider that, you have a very massive creative force living with you. And so, um, today I'd like to talk to you about something that some of you have probably heard before, but hopefully it will be a bit of a refresher, because for me, divine health started when I realized something very fundamental. How many of you have heard of healing in the atonement? Two people, three people, you've heard? So, what healing in the atonement is, is basically the fact that Psalm 103 talks about that he has forgiven our sins and he's healed all our diseases. Isaiah 53 verse 4 talks about the fact that he has bore our illnesses and he's carried our diseases. And then we get in Matthew eight fourteen where Jesus goes in and he takes the hand of Peter's mother-in-law and he heals her. And then the many come and he heals them. And the, the writer in, in um, the book of Matthew... Is it? Yeah, it's Matthew 8, 12. Yeah, Matthew 8, 12. At that point, the writer says, this was to fulfill what was spoken of in the book of Isaiah, he would carry our sicknesses and our diseases. So it's uh, there's a direct um, interpretation, scripture, interpreting scripture, talking about the fact that Jesus, part of the salvation plans, part of the prophecy that's in Isaiah 53, about what Jesus would accomplish, was about him dealing with sickness. And disease. But now we can know that, okay? We can we can have an understanding of that. But how do we both appropriate that for others and how do we appropriate that in ourselves? Okay? And for me, that that was something that for many years, like I literally was praying for the sick for I think it was three years, three, maybe even four years, before I came into an understanding and a revelation of what I'm Wanting to share with you today. Okay. So. What was the change for me? Well while I was praying for the sick. I was still dealing with things that were attacking my body. Okay. And I was asking God. Why is it that I can. Pray for the sick. And they can get healed. But somehow. I'm still struggling to get rid of something. Have you ever had that question? Okay. So. Would it be interesting to know what what it was that actually changed that? Would you like to know that? <laughs> I'm like wondering, are you guys out there? We're out. Okay. Okay, so I just gave you a quick rundown on healing in the atonement, right? So you can write those down. Psalm 103, Matthew 8:14, 14, um, Isaiah 53. Those are all things. And if you've got any of the manuals or whatever... It's always in there. And then there's a a section in, for example, um, the Hands on Biblical Healing that talks about total redemption. And what redemption is, it's greater than atonement because atonement just covers over, whereas redemption actually rescues you out of. So there's a a, a big difference between the two. In atonement, in the Old Testament, the blood of the Lamb was just to temporarily cover over the sin um, until a later date there was only one sacrifice that would ever be good enough to take away the sins of the world. And that sacrifice was the Lamb of God that was slain before the foundations of the earth. So every sacrifice up until that point was basically a shadow and a type, a kind of an, an action by faith in recognition that the innocent blood, right, would be spilled for the salvation of the world. And so that's why in the past you'll see God... Um, For example, forgiving David without a sacrifice. Psalm 103. Isaiah 53 and Matthew 8.14. Okay, so those are are three key texts. Now, the thing about Isaiah and Matthew 8 is that Matthew 8 interprets Isaiah um, based on the writings of a first century Jew. So, because you have a first century Jew interpreting what Isaiah actually says, I don't care for what the Baptists think about it. I don't care for what the Calvinists think about it. I don't care for what they say. I care for what the Bible says about it. And it says clearly in the context of people being delivered from demons and healed of sicknesses and diseases, that this was to fulfill what was written in the book of Isaiah. So I'm going to go with what God said and what they interpreted as to, uh, as to be. Because what they'll do in the Old Testament, in, the, in Isaiah 53, is they'll say, he bore our sorrows and our griefs. But the word there is Kabal and Nassar. And if you look at those proper words, it actually means physical sickness and disease. And any honest scholar would actually agree. And Jewish scholars have agreed that this is talking about physical healing. It's not just talking about sufferings in general. So hopefully that helps you to be able to stand firm on that and be able to actually have conviction and confidence. Because the only thing we can really stand on is God's word. We do that for our salvation. We have to do that for our health. And when the devil comes knocking and saying, oh, did God really say? You can say, well, let me take you to where it says it. Are you with me? So, so when they pull you over and they say, who are you? So let me just get my ID book out there. Yeah, it says you're. I am loved and accepted and I'm a son of God. That's why. Right. Do you believe it? Because this is your heavenly ID book. Literally is. It's like literally is your heavenly idea book. Okay, so if you can go with me first to 1 Corinthians. And we're going to work a little bit backwards today, but it's fine. I'm going to go 1 Corinthians um, 15, verse verse 42. Let's read from there. So it's 1 Corinthians 15, verse 42. Okay? It says, So it is with the resurrection of the dead... What is sown is perishable. you see that? What is raised is imperishable. Have you got it? It is sown in dishonor and it is, rain, it is raised in glory. When you were born again, were you not sown in dishonor and raised in glory? So what we... Huh? Okay. You were previously a sinner. You were in dishonor. Then you died with Christ and you were raised with him to a new way of life in honor. So, watch this. It is, um, then he says, it is so, it is sown in weakness and it is raised in glory, uh, sorry, and, and raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. Can you say, I have a spiritual body? I have a spiritual body. Remember, you, This is not saying you have a spiritual wind, or a spiritual wisp, or a spiritual pixel. It's a spiritual body. That means you have a spiritual hand, and a spiritual foot, and a spiritual tongue, and a spiritual eye, and a spiritual ear. A spiritual body. And your physical body is a glove in which your spiritual body fits. So if you want to know what your spirit man might look like, probably a handsomer, fitter version of this. (laughs) Am I right? Yeah. Okay? Depending on how much you've developed and grown up, because your spirit can grow and regress. How can your spirit regress? Well, you become too carnally minded, and your spirit starves, in a sense it doesn't get to grow. Because what is the gatekeeper between the spirit and the body? So the gatekeeper between your spirit and your body is your soul. So if your soul is in agreement with the word, then it will become, it'll come in agreement with your spirit. If your soul is in agreement with the flesh, then it will block the spirit. Does it make sense? So if you think of it like a gate, you can open the door or you can close the door. Hmm. You can unlock or you can lock. You can release or you can withhold. Sound familiar? I give you the keys of the kingdom. Whatever is unlocked, you can unlock here. Whatever is locked up, you can lock up here. But you actually have to open the gate. Whoever walks according to the Spirit will not gratify the desires of the flesh. That doesn't mean your body is irrelevant. Please don't get that from me. Your body is a beautiful thing that God has created to keep you here. And God has given it some awesome functionality, but it has to cooperate with the Spirit. It mustn't be in charge of the Spirit. It has to cooperate with the Spirit, not be in charge of the Spirit. And what happened when man fell, is he fell into his flesh. Genesis 6, God says, My Spirit will not always strive with man, for he is flesh. In other words, he thinks only according to his body. He's not thinking according to his heavenly mandate. Not thinking from his true self. And the Holy Spirit at that time. Was trying to sustain mankind. And if you see. As soon as that happens. The age of man drops to 120. So after the flood. People start living less and less and less. Longer. Isn't that right? Because what happened? The Spirit of God was no longer sustaining them. The Spirit of God would then only come upon. Select elect individuals. At the time. But the plan was to restore God's spirit to man all along. But God had to first deal with sin so that sin could be out of the way so that the spirit of God would no longer have to contend with man. it could then abide in man. Can you remember this. The promise that was make, made to Abraham. What was the promise? Does anybody know? What was the promise that was made to Abraham? I will make you the father of many nations. Isn't that right? Now, how do you become the father of many nations? Well, physically, you're going to have to find a lot of women, isn't it? But did he have many women or did he really just have one wife? So so the only true descendant from Abraham was through Sarah. Am I correct? So, so Sarah is the one who brought the child of promise. Because the child of promise was going to be the lineage of Abraham and, father would make, and and God would make out of Abraham a father of many nations. But Paul argues that Abraham is the father of many nations according to faith, not according to the flesh. That means that, that Abraham is the father of this nation. Why? Because he is the father of faith. Because he believed God and God accredited to him as righteousness. And then the Bible says that God preached the gospel to Abraham When he said, through you, all the nations will be blessed. And what was he saying? He was saying, Abraham, right now in this point in time, you are representing a lineage of people who would come out from your loins that will eventually bring forth a seed that would eventually make make the way for people to be blessed by me. And that seed was Jesus. And that's why Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Jesus didn't say he was the promise. Jesus said that he was the way. So what happens in Galatians is Paul makes the argument and he says that through Christ we might receive the promised Spirit by faith. So the goal was to get the Holy Spirit back in mankind from the day, that Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, to Genesis 6, the Holy Spirit was trying to contend with man. But then God lifted the Holy Spirit, man's age dropped, and throughout the rest of the time, the Holy Spirit would only come on select individuals, prophets, kings, etc., based on their their relationship with God, etc. And then now, God has restored the Spirit to everyone. That's why Peter gets up in the book of Acts, and he says, Do not be deceived. These people are not drunk as you suppose. But this is what was spoken of by the prophet Joel. In the last days I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Now I don't know about you. But I think I'm all flesh. How about you? So that means that the Holy Spirit was destined to live here. And he's destined to live in you. And the Bible says whoever is united with the Lord is one spirit With him, And this is the reason why we are connected. Now, do you believe that the Holy Spirit is the author of all life? And if you don't, then you need to go and do a little bit of a study and see where the Holy Spirit ever brought death. Because only the absence of the Holy Spirit can bring death. The presence of the Holy Spirit will always bring life. So death only started to occur more frequently once the Holy Spirit withdrew from the earth. Not before that. Adam lived to be almost a thousand. Methuselah outlived him. And Noah never died. I mean, yeah, not Noah, Enoch never died. You all know that, right? Can you can read Hebrews 11. says there, God took Enoch that he might not see death. So, as far as what the Bible is telling me, he didn't see death. If anyone wants to argue theologically, I'm sorry, it just sounds very conclusive to me. Okay? <laughs> is that fair? All right. So, yeah, we are, and, we, and, we, and we're we going through this, and it's very important. We've got a spiritual body. Verse 45. Thus it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. And if you in your Bibles, I want you to underline living being. Okay? Now, and other, other translations will say living soul or living creature, those kind of things. Okay? And here's the thing. A living soul is a Thing that's alive isn't that right animals are also living creatures am i correct so they're also alive but adam was different in that what animated adam directly was what we would say is the roar of god so god breathed life into him in genesis chapter 2 he forms him out of the dust and he breathes life into him and adam becomes alive now that means that we're all just the bags of dirt that God breathed into. Hallelujah. And there is nothing natural about that process. So, this, so it, it, it's really silly to try and explain a supernatural event by natural means. Don't you think? Yeah. To explain man's appearance on the scene through some kind of natural process is actually fundamentally an error because we came into existence supernaturally. And so did all the other living creatures. Amen. Is that right? Okay. So watch here. So Adam is a living soul, which means he's a container for life. But once he's disconnected from this life, okay, something starts to happen to him. He starts to die and he starts to decay. And all of creation starts to face this thing. All of creation starts to die and decay. And Why? Now, how many of you know that if you keep polluting a dam or a big body of water, that you have to actually find a way to flush that water out in order to clear the dam? Am I right? Yeah. So if you took a cup, if I put a cup here, and I filled it with water, and then I put some ink in it or some colorant in it, it would color the water. Would there be any way to extract the colorant from that water as it is? No. You could boil it, but then you just end up with the colorant. Am I right? You could you could do you could stir it; that would just make it worse. So you're stuck with that. Am I right? But if you bring a hose pipe close to that cup and you start pouring fresh water in there, what will eventually happen to the water in the glass? Will it spill over? And will all the colorant eventually go out, and only fresh water will remain? Which means that a living soul can be contaminated. But the only way to clean a living soul is to flush it with life. Okay? So, for example, when Jesus went and prayed for the leper, do you think Jesus was just a container of life that could be contaminated? Or do you think Jesus was a host pipe that could flush the contamination out of other people? See, Jesus overflowed with life. Jesus said, my words, they are spirit and life. Wherever Jesus went, he brought life. He was a carrier of life. So whenever he walked anywhere, he released life. And when he hugged someone, life flowed. And when he touched someone, life flowed. And life, by the way, is contagious. Right? Like getting wet. There's a proverb that says, he who wets will be wetted. Right? Normally a lot more than when you wetted. Isn't that right? If you squirt someone with a water pistol, you're probably going to end up finding a water bucket coming your way. Isn't that right? There's the law of multiplication right there. Sow and reap. Simple. So so you're getting what I'm saying here is that that, that life that flowed out of Jesus was the reason why Jesus didn't get contaminated by the woman with the issue of blood touching him. That's why Jesus could be touched by the crowds and they could receive that light and they end up clean and he never ended up dirty. There were many ceremonies in the Old Testament that if you came in contact with certain people that you'd have to go and do cleansing rituals to cleanse yourself. Jesus never needed to do any of those things and we're about to find out why. Jesus also never got sick. There's not one instance of Jesus being sick. All right, watch. Watch. Then he says here, it is written that the first man, Adam, became a living being, and the last Adam, who's that? The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. Underline that. A life-giving spirit. So the difference between a living being and a life-giving spirit is the difference between a normal man and a born-again person. Isn't that right? Because a fallen man hasn't got the connection to the Holy Spirit that he once had, but a born-again individual has been infused with the Spirit of God. Is this making sense to you? Okay, watch. He says, But it is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural, then the spiritual. And what does he mean by that? Well, he's saying, look, you can't receive the Spirit until you're born. You didn't exist like a spiritual baby up there in heaven waiting to be landed in some physical body somewhere. You're not an eternal being. You came into existence when you were consummated in your mother's womb. That's when you came into existence. That's when your existence began. Your spirit came into existence at that point. You're not an eternal being. We have a beginning. That's what differentiates us from God. God is the creator. He always existed. We didn't always exist you might say, but Mark, doesn't God know us before we were born? Yes, God knows everything before anyone was born or did anything. That doesn't mean that you already existed. He didn't need to wait for you to exist to know you. He could just know that you would exist and know who you are. That's why he knows you better than you know yourself. Because not only does he know the decisions you have made, he knows the, the decisions you will make. And he's constantly trying to help you to make better ones. You've got to think about that. It means if God knows the decisions I will probably make, and He's trying to advise me to make better ones, then He's actually trying to change the outcome of my destination if it happens to be bad. Okay, that was free, guys. Not charging for that one, yeah? Okay, so Adam, the last Adam being a life-giving spirit is a pretty big deal, don't you think? because check what happens here he says but it is not the spiritual okay so let me just verse go to verse 47 says the first man was from the earth a man of dust and the second man is from heaven as was the man of dust so also are those who are of the dust so we've already carried the image of the first Adam haven't we do we not all have the image of the first Adam we have physical bodies we're here am I right And as is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. Okay? That means that right now, where you are as a born-again person, you have been given the image of Christ. Okay? And that you actually are meant to live out that image. Okay, and then I can take you now to Romans chapter 8. Yeah, it was my mistake. My mistake was thinking, when I pray for someone, I, I don't always feel something, but when I pray for something, I have an intention to let the Holy Spirit flow out of me into other people. Now, if you've never done that, you've just got to decide to intend for that to happen. The Holy Spirit, He's not slow. He'll catch on really quickly. You you just say, you you pray, and you just have that intention, and you can start, eventually you start feeling the power move. But in the beginning you don't feel anything, you just do it by faith, and eventually it will start moving. Okay, And even if you never feel anything, it's still happening, because you'll see people get healed. Okay, I promise you, that's what happens. So what happened is, I was taking this, let's call it water, or river, whoever drinks of me. From his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. Where is that from? Anyone know? The woman at the well? Where is that? Is it John 4? John? John 4, John 3. Somewhere around there. So Jesus said, if you knew who was asking for something to drink, then you would have asked me and I would have given you etern- what I would have given you? Living water. Right? And then they have a whole discussion and Jesus tells her, whoever drinks from this water will never thirst again because from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. That means that whenever you need a drink, you've got one. You don't need a special meeting where the Holy Spirit visits you. You can have your own special meeting whenever you're thirsty. You don't need the right music and the right atmosphere and just the right, 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 right for God to show up like a magic fairy. He lives in you. You can access the fountain of life any day, anywhere, anyhow. And if that means that you turn on your favorite music, more power to you. I'm not against the music. I'm saying, let's not make it so specialized that we have to literally be dry for so long when actually God's going, well, I gave you a river. I mean, have you heard that song? There is a river flowing from the throne. Where do you think that throne is? Isn't he supposed to be seated on the throne of your heart? Where do you think that river flows out of you? Where do you think those trees are? The leaves of those trees, what do they do? Healing for the nations. Come on, people. You can feel that now, right? Are you guys feeling that right now? Yes. Which part do you want me to repeat? So basically, you intend for the Holy Spirit to flow, right? So you make up your mind and decide that when I touch this person... I'm I'm carrying an intention for the Holy Spirit to flow out of me. So if you put down your hand on the desk, put your hand down on the desk, right? And I want you to, in your heart, have an intention for the Holy Spirit to flow out of your hand. Okay? Carry that intention. Be deliberate in your heart about it. What are you feeling? Now, whether you feel something or not, it doesn't matter. The fact is, He's moving. And you can sense it. Am I right? And I can sense it all the time now because I've done it so many times. But it started with just being obedient. It started with just doing it. okay. And it's not a formula. I'm just trying to help you kind of calibrate. For other people, it might be different. It might be when they're singing that they feel the Holy Spirit. But we pray out of obedience and with the right intention. Because God's word, remember, Isaiah 53:11. what does it say? So shall it be, God says, that the words that go out of my mouth will not return to me empty, but it will accomplish the thing for which it is intended. So that means that God has got an intention. Don't have a generational curse. Your intention will block their healing. I hope they dealt with all their, you know, their families' nonsense. I hope they sorted themselves out. Your intention will block their healing. But you have an understanding that it doesn't make a difference what they've done, it makes a difference what he did. And he deserves to get what he paid for. Then your intention is, this is theirs. Thank you, Father. I'm here representing you. So I'm trying to help you understand that, that your intention has to come in line with God's intention. Because when you speak God's word with his intention in mind and in heart, then you have a divine chemical reaction that brings spiritual power into action. And you can see that, right? It's it's not like just fancy words I'm saying. Anyone who's put this into practice knows what I'm talking about. They're like, yes, that's exactly what we experience. Now, the thing is, judgment, right, is the issue. Because grace is what lets power flow. Judgment restricts power. So when you have a family member that's really wronged you, and you need to pray for them, it might be an idea to find someone else. No, serious. Because... You're, I mean, even when even desperation can be a problem, right? So let's say, for example, you really care about your your child and, and you're desperate for their healing. You're not operating in the spirit. You're operating in the soul. You don't have the right intention. God never said beg for your healing, right? I understand. He never said beg for your healing. So the minute you're like, God, please just set them free. He's like, what are you doing? I've already provided for this. Faith isn't begging. Faith is an assurance that the one who made the promise can keep it. Faith is as easy as sitting down. You didn't even give a second thought to the chair holding you. You just assumed it's going to do its job. God is like that. In fact, God is so faithful and dependable and reliable that we can take the, the fact that He is true to His nature for granted. I'm not saying take God for granted. I'm just saying you can rely on who He is that He will do What he does based on who he is. So now we've we've looked at this and we can see that there is this difference between Adam and Jesus. And that there's obviously a difference between what we inherited from Adam and what we inherit from Jesus. Now, if you can get this, right, you will start to operate in the place where most people want to operate. Where you walk into a room and you can change the atmosphere. Now, there are people in the demonic realm that do this all the time. Have you ever had someone who is depressed and lonely and anxious walk into the room and then the whole atmosphere changes? Okay, you can yeah. do the same thing, but you yeah. can do it with the love and power of God. You can come into a room and completely change the atmosphere. But you can't do it if you think that you are just in here. My little spirit, my little light. What? No. You, you've got to realize that your spirit has no limits. Because your spirit is connected to this spirit of God. So that means that wherever the Holy Spirit can go, you can go. And that means that the emotion that is in your heart, in other words, the, 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 the peace, the joy, the, the well-being that you have because of Jesus is and your relationship with God, you can emanate that. Does it make sense? Now, even when I'm speaking, do you guys sense that there is more in my voice than just words? Because I have an excitement and a joy and a love for what I'm saying. It goes into what I'm saying. And you get that. You pick that up. It gives you energy. I'm changing the atmosphere. You can do the same thing. You can change the atmosphere. The problem is that that horrible fearful, anxious, depressed feeling can be so like surprising and shocking and kind of like overwhelming that we all feel intimidated by it initially. Isn't it right? I mean, whenever you're around bitter, twisted people, you can pick it up. It's like this. Now you can actually say, okay, that's what's happening. And you can begin to pray in tongues or you can begin to sing a praise song or you can begin to remind yourself of who you are and stir yourself up and you'll be able to emanate right? The, the atmosphere that you want. And I know when you're praising God, you will be grateful because that's what praise is. So it's exactly what I'm talking about. So even if you just start recognizing the things that God has done, or you start speaking about the good things God has done, you'll find, have you ever shared testimonies and people are like upset with you? Have you had that? You share a testimony and then people are angry. And why are they angry? This is what they say. Well, how come God hasn't done that for me then? Have you ever had that? Yes. So, but you know what that exposes? That they're actually living under the law. And they're actually judging other people. And that's the very reason that they're struggling to actually walk out their, their healing. Because they think that they have to earn it from God. And they can't be happy for anyone else getting it. Now, If you hear of someone getting healed and you need healing, you should be jumping up and down, praising God, saying, thank you, me too. Yes. That's the true me too movement. So now here's the thing, guys. We are representative of of Jesus on the earth. So we are the ones who carry the Holy Spirit. And we have the fountains, the rivers of life, right? And just like that cup that's polluted, the rest of the world that's unsaved, or even Christians that don't yet know who they are and what they carry, can act like just souls, right? Just these living souls because they're not letting the Spirit move, right? So now, you come close to them, if you are overflowing with life, your life will overflow into them, and they will eventually get washed clean. That's why hanging out with other people ends up influencing them, and they end up receiving that life. Remember I told you in the beginning of this discussion about me praying for other people and them getting healed and so on. Okay, so I would pray for them, I would release life, that's my intention, right? And then I would shut it off. Yes, because I just need a release life and then that's it, right? You see, that's what I was doing. I was praying for people and then I would just release. And my intention would stop. <clears throat> my intention was release, stop, right? That's my intention. And often when we pray, we only release when we pray. We only engage when we pray. We only engage when we minister instead of getting staying on and letting it flow. And the reason is you kind of Initially you think, but isn't that a waste? But then you realize there's no limit to the spirit, so how can you waste what's not limited? And so the key is to become a life-giving spirit. In other words, you are constantly flowing and your intention is to constantly give life. Now what does it do? It does two things. One, as the life of God is flowing in and through your body, what's happening? It's healing you. And as you approach someone who needs healing, you're already ready to, get, to, to release the life that's there. And so life becomes a shield. The Spirit of God becomes an extra layer, we call it a supernatural immune system, around you that can zap the particles of death that are trying to infiltrate your body because life is being poured out around you, like a fountain, all right? And you are releasing. But there's the thing. you got to keep, like, you got to keep aware of releasing it, right? To where it becomes natural. Every day, it's a part of who you are. Ever since I did that, my whole family, I was able to literally cover my whole house. Majority of the time, the sickness doesn't come knocking at our door. There's odd occasions when we're very stressed and very busy. And then a window of opportunity opens, and don't you think the devil will will let up on that opportunity? But then we just kick him out because he's not allowed there. Basically, um, what helps me, what helps me to be in that attitude, is to um, have a song like a melody in my heart, or you know, like you know, it says, "Be constantly in full of Holy Spirit So if you find a, a song that you really feel is like something that's close to you, like really speaks about, and make sure it's theologically correct and reinforces your identity with Christ rather than is Old Testament based and tries to pull you away from it. So that's an important part. But what I do is I would just sing that song over and over again, or, you know, when you get a song stuck in your head kind of thing, and that would help me flow, or I would read something that um, excites me, or I would just, one of the best things to do is, just put the four books of the gospel on while you sleep. You know, every single night while you're sleeping, you listen to the words of Jesus when you wake up. That stuff's already in you. You can feel. Look, here's the thing. Paul only taught what Jesus taught. Peter only taught what Jesus taught because Jesus taught them to teach what he taught. So, so if you want to go back to what he taught, you go back to what he taught. And then if you want clarity on what he taught, you can go to Paul and you can go to Peter because they kind of expand on some of the things that Jesus didn't say, because Jesus was obviously talking to different groups of people at different times, but everything was about preparing people for the kingdom. Now the kingdom is here, because it's we are the kingdom, right? So the kingdom wasn't going to ever come in a physical form, um, other than this temple. Um, The kingdom is always an extension of heaven on the earth, through God's influence and His will and His power. And so that's why it's important for us to understand that we are now those carriers of life. And we get to, you know, and listen, just because you don't let it flow, doesn't mean you can't switch it on again. Because the Holy Spirit is constantly there. Fellowship with the Holy Spirit, praise and worship, um, and um, just being generally aware of the words of Jesus will help you stay in, in that thing. And then having a constant intention that when you speak, when you type, when you do anything, that you let the life of God flow. Okay, here's the beautiful thing, Rog, that Jesus actually gave us his anointing the day we got born again. Because the word Christian means anointed one. The word Christ is from the word Messiah, which is the anointed one. So Jesus' anointing is actually being imparted to us because we follow him. And it's really the only anointing we ever need. So Jesus said, the Spirit of God is upon me because he has anointed me. the Spirit of God is in us because He has anointed us. Does it make sense? So we have an anointing that abides. It doesn't come and go. Okay? And the anointing in your life, right, or on your life, is basically how the Holy Spirit is able to manifest the different gifts and callings. Right? That will give you different strengths. And each person, because of their own... um, Of disposition and their own what they believe they can and can't do at the time will lean towards the things that they are more prone to cooperate with in the Holy Spirit. But then later on, as they develop those, they'll learn that there's others as well that they can also push into because the Holy Spirit is the gift that we are given, and all the gifts of the Spirit are able to manifest out of Him the apostolic, the prophetic, evangelical, teach all of that stuff can operate in any person. That doesn't mean everyone holds the office. It just means that every person has the spirit that is able to manifest the skills that are needed for that particular. And we can go into Ephesians 4. The goal of the gifts is actually to equip you to do what they do without being supernaturally empowered by a gift. Okay, now here's the thing. Did your bleeding stop? Okay, so they, they did the operation. They took the womb out. And her bleeding stopped. Then she starts praying, right? With someone else, okay? And then God recreates her womb. No, oh, no, don't worry about that. No, so they did a C section on you. It's funny how God, God will give you a brand new uh, um, What's it, uterus? He'll give, give you a whole brand new uterus, but they worried about the stomach bursting. Uh. Okay. Praise God. Yes. Okay, so let let me let me answer you. So while you were praying and your heart's intention was for that, okay, the same spirit that was flowing out of you with its intention was flowing through you. And when you sow, what do you do? You reap. But if you sow, if you sow praying for people and they get healed isn't it the fastest way you can get healed? (laughs) well hold on hold on hold on that doesn't mean it's always going to happen automatically okay right and and maybe just just make sure your intentions are right she didn't know better she was just doing what she knew right she was just but, but it proves my point okay <laughs> okay, so watch this. We went up to Peter Maritzburg, and my wife prayed for one lady to fall pregnant. Four. Yeah. Four, including Nisha. Yeah, and Nisha wasn't Yeah. Okay? Got, fell pregnant. Within that month. Yeah. Okay? So don't underestimate the power that you carry. Be specific and deliberate with your intentions. If you want to know, for example, when I'm praying for someone, the thing that's going through my heart is, by his wounds, they were healed. It's done, it's finished. That's the intention that I'm carrying. So in my heart, that's what I'm carrying. Be healed in Jesus' name. And constantly I'm thinking, by his wounds, you were healed, it is done, it is finished. You've got to have that intention and that deliberate Fire, in a sense, right? You could call it like a fire or like a, an energy, because what you're enforcing is the will of God. Jesus has already done it, and God said, go and do it. So now we're doing it, and we're enforcing it, and the devils and the demons have to back off, because this is now illegal territory that they're trying to occupy. Makes sense. But now, because you are a life-giving spirit, if you can practice things like the presence of God, If you practice intentionally um, carrying a sensitivity for being aware of him, because he's always there, he's just not always paying attention. But if you pay attention, then you can release the spirit into your flesh. Does that make sense? Because most of us have this little diagram in our head. Body, spirit, uh, soul, spirit. Isn't that right? Okay, but I want you to have a new diagram: spirit, soul, body. Okay, because that's how we were originally intended to operate. The spirit, the Bible says, walk according to the spirit. Right? So there's so many benefits from walking according to the spirit. That means you're mindful of the purposes of the kingdom, the agenda of the kingdom. The agenda of your father and what needs to be done here. And you're enforcing his will and everything else is second. Does it make sense? And when you live like that, then you live like someone who's pouring out life all the time. And as you do that, you yourself. I mean, John did that because he knew how much God loved him. Right? Remember, in the gospel of John, the most beloved disciple. Right? He wrote that. The most beloved disciple. And he's the one they threw in a vat of boiling oil and it couldn't harm him. He's the one they threw on the Isle of Patmos with no food and it didn't harm him. He's the one they tried to martyr three times and it didn't work. Are you with me? Because he understood God's love for him. And when you understand that, that means you understand God's love for others. Because we love because he first loved us. We forgive because he first forgave us. And we give life because he first gave it to us. Freely you've received, freely you give. Okay, any other questions? Because that's basically all the material I'm covering today. Okay, so let me ask you do you think that unforgiveness in their hearts or sin in their life or anything like that can stop them from getting healed? Okay, so discipleship versus intervention is what we're talking about, okay? So intervention is what Jesus did initially. Discipleship is what he did afterwards. So I can disciple people into freedom. This is what we're doing right now, isn't it? Or I can intervene into their situation and bring freedom. But if I bring freedom, I also need to then bring discipleship because otherwise they'll become vulnerable to the next round of attacks the enemy wants to throw at them. So you ever heard people say, I lost my healing. No, you didn't lose it. The enemy came and took it from you. Why? Because you didn't renew this thing so that you could tell him futzak the minute he tried to take it. Most Christians just think, oh, it's the will of God roll over and let sickness have their way. Now, but you see, the anger you have is because you realize the injustice that that idea has caused. Because the Bible tells us, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. The problem is most people want to resist the devil and they expect him to flee, but they don't want to submit to God. That's exactly what I'm saying. So when you read the word of God and it tells you that you've been given power over principalities and powers and darkness and rulers and you submit to that, what does that mean? Now you get to command them to move. Isn't that right? But if you resist submitting to that, then how will they move? When you read in the word of God that God is with you, that he lives in you, that the spirit of God is one with you, and you say, oh, can't be, that can't be, can't be, then you're not submitting to it. Then the devil will come and he'll harass you and you'll say, and this is the worst one, like, please, I don't mean any like disrespect to anybody, but if if you say, devil, I rebuke you, you are literally saying a mute sentence. It's like saying to someone, listen to me, listen to me. In the name of Jesus, listen to me. <laughs> what, are you, what, what are you waiting for? Listen to me. You're like, we're listening. What is it that you want to say? When you say, I rebuke you, I rebuke you. You're saying, I'm going to tell you what to do. I'm going to tell you what to do. I'm going to tell you what to do. The word rebuke isn't a rebuke. Don't worry about the truth. Get out. Exactly. Exactly. So a person could have gone in there and got rid of it okay but because she hadn't yet decided to get rid of it it could find its way back and the problem with that is it can find itself back there seven times worse than it was before now I don't care if it's a hundred times worse you're still greater than a hundred thousand times because you you're in Christ but I don't mean what I said earlier on to be demeaning the point is that it's better to say devil, get out in Jesus' name, because that is the rebuke, Then to just say, I rebuke you. And, and that is actually way more productive because you're telling it what to do. And I've shared this before. Lester Summel is like just a legend. One night he's sleeping and um, a devil picks up his bed and moves it. And he wakes up with the, the bed dropping on the ground and he no- realizes he's in a different location. So the first response is he says, Hey, you devil, get out in Jesus' name. And he sees the curtains flap like this. And he looks around and he realizes he actually moved. So he's like, hey, you, come back. Move my bed back to where it's supposed to be and then go. Comes back and moves his bed back and leaves. He so see, when you've got authority over demons, you've got authority to tell them what to do and to tell them what to do. <laughs> and we need to start realizing our authority. The devil is so... I mean, he has got so much of Christianity convinced that we are just little worms begging for a little bit of attention from God. It's crazy. We are God's crown. We are the, the the crown of His creation. Literally, everything in this world was created so that we could exist. That's really the reality, and Jesus comes to show us that. So, being a life-giving spirit is a fundamental, important thing. Best way to Kind of activate that, pray, you know, spending time just singing melodies, praying in tongues, being thankful, and then also saying things that, that kind of remind you of what God has put on the inside of you. So, I mean, do you guys want to try something like that? Um, just uh, stand up for me. So, so basically, I want you, we're just going to pray in tongues for about five minutes. Okay. You can all pray in tongues? Yeah. Hallelujah, I'm in the right crowd. Yes, uh, Jesus. All right, so five minutes, we're going to pray in tongues, okay, and then after that, we're going to go through some statements about who we are, okay, and then I, then I want you to gauge how you're feeling. In other words, what is the, the level in you, the strength in you? And you can sense your spiritual kind of, um, how can I put it, um, energy, am I right? Because like, the Bible says, build yourself up by praying in tongues in your most holy faith. And, and then he says that you can make your faith effective by recognizing every good thing that is in you. Okay? So this is what we're exercising. It's completely scriptural. The world has stolen it for other purposes. But this is a biblical thing that actually we do. This is what true meditation actually is. True meditation is to chew the cud it's not to empty your mind and think of nothing. <laughs> True meditation is to take a scripture and regurgitate and ask God to give you insight on it and to just sit there on it all the time until you get a deep understanding. I did that with Romans one sixteen. It's phenomenal the stuff that came out of that. Okay. So let's go. Father, we thank you right now, as you pray in tongues, your will be done through us in Jesus' name. <laughs> li a bocsure betrebie ba canal de bet che do cusco risada do cussure bie ba canal et ia ba candre cusco le dalla rete de pieda e do bie lo dosuno bie cara vasinie bocsure do cussure becchende. Riabacande de doccursure bi eta de riendere rabacande de doccursure o lebi bacusiente da facie riende de este do ro doccursure be canalete do ro do sondo debi endare ba canale de bi andare riabacande de bossore endere bi andai bo ro doccursure be Rista da 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 Li abande de bocsure bieta, bacande de bocusco. Ve debie bacande de bocsure bieta, bacande de bocusure bete. Ve bende de biande de bocsure bieta da bastete. Ve ende de bacande de bocusco, e bacande de bocusco. Dordo sure bieta bacandai. Ve debie bacande de bocsure bieta da bastite. Rodul sore Vieva candle the pender of push, push, Vieva Vieva candle of The pender of Vian the Rocus Sunday, Vacanda of sore, becket, David, Riama candle of Sundor and Le Le Rida bacana lente, que bacana lente per iar. Rodosoro do cosi, te le vie la bacanda de vos santo. Le bend de viande la bacosora, vie bacanda de vosso. Rededia bacanda de vosso, vie tarabacanda de vecchere viente. Doro do cosor, vie tarabacanda de vosso.
1: Rodosoro
0: vie bacanda de vosso. Vie bacanda de vosso. साल हमारे जे पूर्वोदित सूरज ये करब सीखते रे भी यंदे रे बखंदर बकुस को ओ रोज कुसी ये बखंदर बकुस ये करब खाना ले बेंदे भी यंदे रे बकुस ये Thank you, Jesus. Okay, where you are right now, I want you to say these words when you hear them with the intention that you think they deserve, okay? In other words, speak them loud and with confidence as you mean them, don't just Kind of repeat aimlessly for no reason. Okay? Because otherwise, that's pointless. Okay? Alright. So, you am going to start with this. I will say, and then you just repeat after me to make it easier. Okay? Father. Father. Start again. <laughs> Father. Father. Your word is true. Your word is true. I believe your word. I believe your word. I can do. What it says, I can do. What it says, I can do. I believe. I believe. What your word, what your word. Tells, me. tells me about who I am. About who I am. I acknowledge. I acknowledge. Every good thing. Every good thing that is in me. That is in me. That is also in Christ. That is also in Christ. Who lives in me. Who lives. And through me, and through me, it is not I who live; it is not I who live, but Christ who lives in me. But Christ, Christ who lives in me. I died. I died. I died. I died. I was buried. I was buried. And I was raised up with Him. And I was raised up with Him. Now, now, I sit in heavenly places. I sit in heavenly places. Far above. All principalities, all principalities, and powers, and powers, even sickness and disease, even sickness and disease. I command sickness. I command sickness. I command sickness. I, command sickness. I
1: sickness. Go, go now, now,
0: now! and it flees. And it flees. I tell poverty. I tell poverty. Go, go now! now, now, and it goes. And goes. God has given me. God has given me the ability, ability to, create to create wealth so that I, so that I may establish, establish his kingdom, his kingdom on, the earth. on the earth. I am healthy. I am strong. I am an overcomer because greater is he, greater is he that, is in me. that is in me and he that is in the world. And he now, now I, do trade, I trade do trade upon serpents and scorpions upon serpents and scorpions and nothing, and nothing, I, said nothing I said nothing shall by any means, shall shall any means hurt, me. hurt me nothing will touch my family nothing will touch my family or come near my household or come near my household I have the authority I have over all, the ability over all the ability of the enemy. Of the enemy. And, I say, and I say no more, no more. In, Jesus name. in Jesus' name. Every weapon, Every weapon the, enemy attempts, the enemy attempts to form against me, to form against me. will not prosper. Will not prosper. I do not have fear. I do not I have fear. But I have a spirit of power. But I have a spirit of power. I have a spirit of power. I have a spirit of power. And of love. And, of love. and of love. And of a sound mind. And a sound mind. I am patient. I am, I am patient. I am kind. I am kind. I do not rejoice in evil. I do not I rejoice in evil. I am not irritated. I am not envious. Nor am I envious. Nor am I envious. Amen. Amen. How do you feel? Good. How many of you feel pumped? Yes. Okay, what, is, what do you think just happened? You engage the spirit. Isn't that right? And you can start feeling the surges. Now, if you keep that up and you go every morning, you pray times, five to ten minutes, you say those things, you remind yourself, what kind of a beautiful breakfast is that? Yes! Amen. Amen. I mean, instead of starting your day with, with food, start your day with spiritual food, and by 2 o'clock you can start eating, and then, you know, you'll have intermittent fasting going. It's all cool. Right, does it make sense of what I'm saying, guys? Did you learn something out of this today? Yes. Okay, so these are things we can do that helps us prepare to be ready in every situation. When you're in the office, when you're in the mall, when, you, when you're buying a cup of coffee, whatever, just engage people. Ask them, hey, do you have, is there anything you're dealing with? Is there any situation? You don't have to have a prophetic word to ask a question. Yeah. And if they say, no, I'm fine, So well, do you know anybody else here that might need prayer? Oh, no, actually, this person came in that's not feeling so well. Boom, there's an opportunity. And all you have to do is say, no, Jesus loves you so much. Let me pray for you. Be healed in Jesus' name. Have the right intention. And trust God. If you don't see anything it's fine. Just keep doing it. Because you you don't decide that it's not working because you don't see it. Because we believe that we call those things that we don't see into existence. So I want to encourage you.